For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Energy News Beat. We have an ESG special today. My name is Stu Turley, President and CEO of the Sandstone Group, and we've got some great talent today. I mean, I've got a all-star lineup here. We're going to go through the round, uh, the horn, and as we introduce everybody, I can bring up their information. But let's start with Kat Galloway. Kat, how are you today? Doing great. Calling in from lovely Austin, Texas this afternoon. So happy to be here, Stu. Oh, I, I, man, I, I am looking forward to it because next week you are going to get, we're going to have another podcast. We're going to cover Bitcoin mining and ESG on that kind of a portion of it. Who would have thought ESG is needed with Bitcoin? Hey, I mean, energy and Bitcoin are going to go together because they solve each other's problems. I, um, I wish they solved my bank account. My <laughs> wife would like that. And, and we have Tracy Woods. He is a VP at the American Association of Blacks and Energy. Tracy, welcome. Welcome and it's fantastic to see you. I have thoroughly gotten to enjoy getting to know you over these uh, last year and welcome and your expertise in energy policy and social is so much needed. Thank you for piling in. Thanks for having me, Stu. And I'm looking forward to this conversation with Kat and Andrew. So thanks for having me. And we've got uh, Dr. Andrew here. Doctor, how are you? I'm good, Stu. I've been looking forward to this since you sent out the invite a few weeks ago. Well, uh, I have to tell you, we all have a passion for ESG and we all are in the energy. Three of the four in this environment are experts. Me, I I just have expert wannabe. So as we sit back and we want to set the tone, we're in an energy crisis right now, guys. And that energy crisis has been brought on by, I'm going to ask what you guys think about the energy crisis, what brought it on. And I'm going to throw you out there in just a sec. And Tracy, I'm going to start with you. Why do you think we're here now? Uh, Well, I think that when we look at uh, the climate, another term, you know, we use climate crisis. And I I think when we finally agree on what the science tells us and the risk uh, to the folks who follow us. I mean, someone said we don't we borrow the planet uh, from the folks who follow. So I I think that's where we look at energy being the lifeblood of commerce and, you know, important to develop nations and those developing how we, what we do with energy gets to be, uh, looking at that puts us squarely into this crisis. That, those are my, that's what I think, Stu. All right. Well, Kat, your thoughts. Well, Stu, I mean, I've been supporting the environmental side of of ESG for for nearly two decades now, even before ESG itself was even even coined. Um, So I think, you know, with my background and focus on the energy business, specifically since about 2010, you know, I'm really excited to talk about and to learn and discuss how we can reduce our emissions across the energy sector. So that's really uh, my focus and and what I'm excited to talk about today. All right. And Andrew, uh, your passion kind of in our last podcast was really kind of cool. You uh, went to Boulder, which is a very renewable oriented kind of a place, and you ended up at Texas A&M, and then all of a sudden you're working in the oil and gas field. Go figure that one out. 
Yeah, that was, uh, if you ever want to be culture shocked, go from <laughs> Boulder, Colorado to College Station, Texas, and tell me how it turns out. Quite the change, right? And yeah, I've, I've told you before, I didn't really want any part of oil and gas as a career option. It was something that didn't interest me, and I, I studied climate at A&M. Climate change is what interested me in, in making a difference for people. And what yeah. I quickly learned at AM was that companies, oil and gas companies, are not just oil and gas companies, they're energy companies. And uh, the impact that they have on the world is it's mind boggling, quite frankly. And so I, I was right. fortunate enough to do some work with them in graduate school at AM. And it opened up my eyes and really led me down the path that I'm on today. You know, that, that's a pretty cool start. Uh, Tracy, you had a start as a lineman in the power side. Uh, tell us just a little bit on that, because that tells you that you have known where it starts at the bottom of the pile. And that is very critical. Yeah, you're, you're right, Stu. Yeah, my second job was was as a lineman. I started as a meter reader and then, you know, got to climb poles and do a lot of cowboy things. But you're right. At, at the very beginning with the customers, you talked about uh, communities that are impacted, frontline communities. And so for me, growing up in Philadelphia, these are folks and, and you know, what I realized is that they paid their energy bill. That was the first thing they paid. And a lot of times, it was, mm-hmm. you know, the choices between that and, and other things. And so I always kept that at heart because I started, you know, running in and out of people's homes and then as a lineman seeing, you know, things up front. And it's been it's been great for me as a, as a career and particularly here at Abe when we look, you advocate for communities of color, which tend to be those that are underserved, a low and moderate income. It's, it's fantastic to be on the policy side. And, and particularly at this time when we're all collectively, globally talking about ESG. Who knew then that I'd be doing this today, but excited to do it. Well, you know, uh, Kat, when you sit back and you take a look Look, you said you've been doing this for a little while and you've got a passion for ESG. ESG has got the environmental, the social and the governance, but we're not going to get to the renewable within 10 minutes. I mean, we're gonna, it's going to take some time. How do you think energy tech is going to play into this? Well, I think, Stu, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, let's let, let's talk about that energy transition, right? So I personally support fossil fuels. That's been my background in my career. I also support Support renewables, solar, wind, hydro, uh, and and I I love all of these really interesting projects that are coming out there to to work on substitutes for the fossil fuels. But I think we also need to talk about the the concept of that transition to low carbon fuels. According according to the U.S. Department of Energy, actually more than ninety six of all manufactured ninety six percent of all manufactured goods are directly touched by the chemicals industry. Right, hmm. this industry greatly influences our safe water supply, our shelter, clothing, healthcare, computer technology. And what are the feedstocks for that chemical industry? Fossil fuels. So so we can talk about moving to more renewable sources of fuel for our our cars, electricity. But but with my background in chemical engineering, um, we need to recognize that those feedstocks for our plastics, our pharmaceuticals, our fertilizers, those are all coming from the oil and gas industry. So we're not going to transition totally away from plastics anytime soon, right? But what we need to do is we need to keep innovating 
new sources of energy, but we can't take our foot off the gas on improving the environmental impact of our fossil fuels. So I think, you know, as we look into what technology is coming into the oil and gas space, what I'm really excited about right now at at Artemis Energy is looking at technology that allows our oil and gas industry to capture and to harness energy that would traditionally be flared or destroyed um, as a power source. And I want to take that power and I want to mine Bitcoin off of it. So we're taking off-grid power, uh, working with producers across the energy sector to do that, to reduce our waste, reduce our emissions, while also being rewarded for that Bitcoin in the free market. So I'm, I'm very pro-innovation, and I think we've got a, a lot of great projects going on. Boy, you just said a mouthful there, Kat, and there, I'm taking notes on all this. I got notes <laughs> on Tracy. I got all this. And um, one of the things that I did not realize is how much power Bitcoin actually uses. It is not ESG-friendly. Well, that's a good point because you have to look at where that power is coming from, right? Is it coming from a coal fire power plant? Is it coming from something renewable? Is it coming from wind, solar? You need to look at that mix of where that energy is coming from to support the Bitcoin mining. And that's why I'm a fan of off-grid. So here in Texas, um, for those of you who are listening who are here uh maybe last February, when we had that huge storm, we lost all of our power. It was a nightmare. I had to go rescue family members from across town who were without power for a couple of days. It was it was a really serious event. And so for me, mining Bitcoin, I don't want to pull power from that grid when hmm. other people need it. Plenty of people are mining from the grid and that's fine. That's just not personally what I want to do. So I'm looking for these off-grid sources, you know, getting, getting power, getting energy in from other sources that are considered wasted. So yeah, it, it's, it is a lot of power. It is. And I, I just didn't even realize that at all. And in fact, Tracy knows about the storms. You've had to go out and help people uh, with that as well. So, I mean, you you know storms. That's so, right. And, 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 right. And, and, and what, what Kat is doing, you know, Stu, with, with uh, you know, with the mining, Bitcoin mining and, and really capturing methane. So we know in, in the latest uh, legislation now that's going to be funded when we look at this focus on methane, the impact on the environment. And again, methane in the part of so many operations, but to take what would be waste and now being focused on and to leverage that and use that. I mean, again, in the past, yeah, we knew about methane, but where was the market for methane? And now Catch found a solution because Bitcoin is here. I, you know, the incoming mayor in New York is talking Talking about uh, the the city being focused, city being a financial center, being focused on Bitcoin and, and other technologies. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, win-win. So, uh, you know, when I, uh, Kat, Artemis Power, what you're doing there, Artemis Energy, just um, pretty slick. You know, and, and, and I think that, Stu, from, from Abe's perspective, you know, yep. I, I love that Kat started off talking. Yes, she supports fossil and renewables because I, I think the transition mm-hmm. is uh, has to include all those things, plus some of the neat things that you talk about like hydrogen, you know? Yeah. Those are great points. I did not realize that about the New York uh, City thing. And and then, Andrew, you've had you brought up a lot of great new points about Colorado and the transit. What are your thoughts on some of the transition issues that Kat and we're sitting here trying to figure out on what's going on here? And Tracy brought up. Yeah, I mean, I think at at the core, right, you can't have the energy transition without oil and gas. Right. It just simply it just simply doesn't 
doesn't work. And, you know, you look at kind of the climate that we're in now and the attitudes towards oil and gas, and it's it's kind of frustrating because you can electrify anything, right? You can you can electrify cars and houses and trains and buses and whatever. But people don't, I think a lot of people don't consider the fact that electricity is made, it's not harvested, right? You have to actually produce electricity. And, you know, when you think about where we are now and where we want to go, the intermediate bridge there is natural gas, right? It's 50% less CO2 than coal. And yet we continue to shoot ourselves in the foot in the United States by fighting infrastructure that would promote the use of natural gas, which is crazy to me. And what should concern everyone is the recent uh, statistics that have come out recently that said coal use is on the rise for the first time in 14 years. That's yeah. amazing. That's that's an incredible statistic when you think about the conversations around reducing our, our greenhouse gas emissions. And yet here coal is coming, creeping back into the picture more and more. I told you that the last podcast you and I talked to here in Colorado, a state that prides itself at being at the forefront of green technologies, still sees uh, electricity generation by coal exceeding the national average. That's a crazy statistic to me, right? When you go plug in your Tesla at night, I mean, if it's being charged- I don't want to interrupt, with, but did you just see all of us cringe? I mean, uh, it's crazy. You know, Kat, <laughs> Tracy, you know, we're all, we all cringed. I, I I even cringed again and I even knew that. Yeah. It's, Sorry, it's, Andrew. I didn't no, no, it's, it's, just, it's, it's just wild, right? And so I think that, you know, when you kind of consider where we want to go by, you know, net zero targets are, are all 2040, 2050 and natural gas gas, the, the oil and gas industry has to be that bridge. And there are low carbon alternatives that we offer that can help bridge the gap. And I, I really hope that people start to, to kind of understand that because um, like Kat said, and, and like Tracy said, at the end of the day, I think the new energy economy is not one individual, it's not dominated by any one energy, right? People want to tell you renewables like wind and solar can be baseload powers. They can't. No one has shown me that they can. I I refuse to accept that. it's going to take nice open a, mind. I like that about it. You. It's going to take a holistic approach. It's renewables will be part of the energy portfolio, but people are going to have to come around on nuclear, geothermal, hydrogen is is making some really cool, I think, mm-hmm. progress. It's going to be a much more diverse energy economy in 50 years. Oh, you know, uh, this morning I even uh, saw a couple of things. Uh, I did not know that California is the largest importer. Okay, their coal use has gone up just like Colorado. Didn't know that as well either till about a, you know, a year ago when our research team was figuring this out. Nobody knows that coal is going up in California. Did you know that California is importing the largest amount of oil in the world from the Amazon forest? The Amazon forest is being destroyed because of California's importing of oil. Go figure that bad dog out. I was like, holy smokes. The, you know, and they're supposed to be energy. They've got the highest cost of energy in the U.S. They're the Germany of, of the U.S. I just... Saw an article on that today, actually. So it's funny you bring that up um, because I, I did just see an article that that made that point. But you know, it's the same thing on the East Coast. We can't get natural gas pipelines to Boston, so they have to offload LNG in Boston yep. Harbor. I mean, it's it's the same logic, and it's it's crazy when you know we, people you want to reduce flaring, allow us to build the infrastructure to send that gas somewhere. 
right? I mean, there are simple solutions that I think the policies, climate policy and, and environmental policy, actually, it's counterproductive to what it's trying to achieve. Okay. Yeah. The infrastructures. Yeah. yeah. Am I back? Yeah. yeah. You're okay. back. We lost you. Oh, you know, that's, that's my wife says that's when I'm best is when my mic is muted. Um, <laughs> so, you know, when it, we, we talked about the infrastructure bill has some really, really good things in it. It's got some really, really bad things in it. And uh, when you take a look, it's actually got more oil and gas in it than people even realize. They slid in on this, the natural gas, as a renewable, and nobody knew about that. I mean, isn't that amazing that they did that? They kind of, that's in the infrastructure bill. And I think that's going to help. Yeah, I yeah, I, you, you know, you and I had that conversation and yeah, yeah. very surprising because we know the prevailing conversation before this legislation was that, uh, you know, the, uh, see, uh, natural gas was a fossil fuel. Um, certainly, you know, as Andrew said, you know, 50 percent uh, of the uh, output or GHG output of, of coal, but still uh, fossil fuel. But, you know, looking at it as renewable and, and I, in ways it needs to be in the conversation, you know, so that part is good. But, you know, the definition is a little bit baffling. But, um, you know, I think that when we talk about natural gas, you know, bans and and some of the things that are going on at, at particularly at state levels, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you know, uh, Andrew talked about, you know, getting things permanent and infrastructure built out. We're going to need that infrastructure. Uh, although I still scratch my head, as you said, as natural gas is a renewable. So, but, but it's good to see uh, the legislation is still, uh, and the funding, um, but our work is never done because it, it is about eventually getting those projects uh, moving forward. And, you know, yep. I'm sure Pat and Andrew uh, know, you know, part of the challenge that that is. Right. Well, you know, I think a lot of this is we're talking about messaging to the public and we all are sitting here as energy. Y'all are energy experts and I'm a wannabe. But we all know. I mean, we all know the behind the curtains kind of thing going on that the oil companies have not done a good job in the past of articulating, hey, the good things. They've not done good things. And then, you know, the other renewables have not done a good job articulating the right or talking back and forth. But this brings up another thing coming around the corner. The old school let's just say oil and gas has going away. We're not attracting new young talent that really is uh, on board with the ESG cat. And what are some ideas that you have to attract new client or new young talent to this area? Y'all look really young and talented to me, but you know, I, I'm old. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I think that's a great point, Stu. I mean, for, for me as a woman in the energy business, I believe that we have to start that within our own home. Right. We've got to teach our children. We've got to teach our communities. We need to get people involved in STEM education, bringing all people, all walks of life to this industry. And so I I like to support STEM, which is um, science, technology, engineering and math. You can you can add arts to that and make it steam. But but I really think that that's the way that that the energy industry needs to bring forth new talent, support diversity as as well as continuing, um, you know, having a workforce that's going to be with us across generations. So, you know, I love to see companies sponsoring these programs, you know, engage with elementary school, middle schools, scholarships, and, and just bring in a lot of 
different people into this energy fold, support their careers. There's a, there's a lot of things that we can do on that side. You know, Tracy, you and I have had a lot of conversations on diversity and inclusion, and I've been fortunate enough to be able to work uh, and see a lot of the podcasts and productions. And uh, what are your some, some of the thoughts on having energy, not just oil and gas, but everybody having more diversity, inclusion, everything? What is Abe trying to do and helping in that area? Yeah, appreciate that, Stu. And you're right. We've had several conversations that become, you know, very much a part of our work. You know, it's mission critical. And and what we find, first of all, is is the data. You know, it, it, the industry, the energy industry, we, we everything that we do is, is really around data. We remember, you know, a whole conversation about climate change. So what does the science say? And, you know, when we look at energy, oil and gas or electric and gas utilities or even renewables, there is, is driven by data. So what we're doing in a diversity space is really taking a look at what does the data reflect? And so interestingly enough, when we look at, we just uh, co-authored a report, E2 and uh, a group called uh, Black Owners of Sol- Solar Services and a number of other uh, uh, nonprofits. But it was really looking at diversity in the clean energy space. And so oh. we, we take a look at different sectors. And and actually the report could have equally been entitled uh, the lack of diversity in the clean energy space. And so mm-hmm. part of the challenge for, for our clean energy uh, partners is, you know, an industry that has blossomed relatively late when you compare it to oil and gas. But when we look at the the board level and leadership level, there's a lack of um, diversity. And, and here the good news is, you know, we've been having this conversation for some time with those in the in the renewable energy space, clean energy space. And that early conversation is leading now to some action. So for, for us, you know, it's really about the data and, and showing what's going on. Believe it or not, um, Congress, again, is having all of energy in for workshops. And so there was a, a New York Times article uh, early, I believe it's earlier this year, that really looked at the energy space. And again, this diversity challenge, if you will. Uh, yeah. And so when you have to come in and answer to Congress, at, uh, you know, at least get your attention. And so uh, right now, the conversations are about what are you doing and how can we as a government help? And we've been involved with that. And and so we're seeing some traction now and, and very necessary, particularly as we start to do infrastructure. So what we know, last point on this is what gets measured gets done. So when we get beyond the conversations to uh, some data, again, should be, it's germane to what we do in the industry, but let's measure our, our, our progress and uh, we'll get that done in my view. You know what that is? I love that quote, what gets measured gets done. And that goes right on into Andrew's SPL and the ESG. I mean, you got to, you, you think you're, we're all uh, just, let me, throw out a bone over here to Andrew and watch him just go totally nuts on something. What do you think about ESG, Andrew? Uh, so what what do you do over at SPO? Because I mean, this I'm going to wind you up. Okay, go get like you did on the other podcast. What do you think about some of that stuff at SPL? So real quick, just to, to piggyback off Kat and, and Tracy's comments, one of the frustrating things about, I think, getting more, more youthful involvement yep. in the oil and gas industry is simply exposure. And it's really frustrating. One of the biggest things that drew me to Energy Strong was the mission to educate and advocate for the industry, right? Because like Kat said, it starts in the homes. It starts with the conversations we're having. Proud Papa moment. There's a, here in Denver, there's a, a Civitas oil rig a couple of miles from my house and my son is infatuated with it. And uh, over the weekend, he, he said, Papa, let's build an oil rig with Legos, which made me really, really proud. Anyway, but 
getting that interest. It's Did not you strike bad. any oil or you, you like, no, <laughs> no, it was a, it was kind of a, an odd looking oil rig. It was not a conventional uh, by any sense, but you know, getting that interest and, and the positive interest and it's so hard, you know, we have a program at energy strong to get uh, energy, more energy out there in schools and to go to schools yep. and talk to kids about what we do in the industry and good luck cracking that wall. I mean, maybe in Texas, they're more open right. to that program. But here in Colorado, I mean, you cannot get into schools to talk about oil and gas, period. I mean, it's very hard to do. And when you do do it, you're under very strict supervision. And so, you know, the oil and gas industry right now, I think one of the rallying cries is take back that narrative. And it's really hard. I think it's a question that everyone's scratching their head with because get you, you just have a faction that just doesn't want to listen to it. And it's it's very discouraging. Kat, I think you have something to say. <laughs> oh, I saw her. I mean, we all did. <laughs> no, I'm just I'm just vibing off of everything you're saying. Um, this is a picture that yeah. my daughter did um, in elementary school when she was in second grade. And all of the second graders did a little art project. Nice. Um, and so I was just that looks at your, that looks at very much <laughs> that looks very much like me trying to uh, draw a flamingo that is an excellent flamingo by me so great but it job was, it was great conversations around the dinner table too just to see you know all of the kids doing that mm, oh, yeah. and I, yeah. I think the education's got to come around the corner for all energy let's have a discussion tracy you know yeah. you see that all the time up in dc every this is one side over here this is one side over here and you try to bring everybody together and you're going just shaking your head sometimes. <laughs> and yeah. You know what, Stu? And, and Kat talked about the education. I, th- I think it's great, you know, uh, where she shared about um, the oil and gas particularly and, and how it's perceived. One of the things that I, I share all the time, which I got from our colleagues in oil and gas, I, I tell folks, look around the room where you are. And if it's not wood or steel or stone, it's coming to you from the oil and gas industry. And so then that leads to some interesting conversations. You know, for the women in the audience, I say, well, cosmetics, all right? And (laughs) multi-billion dollar industry, that that is. Okay, so if you leave it in the ground as as some have proposed, uh, there are whole industries. And and Kat talked about plastics. You know, so that education, we find that that is not as ubiquitous as we might think. We're in the industry, and I I think sometimes we say, duh, but, um, you know, Patrick chemicals and and what this means in our culture, you know, in a developed culture, we we spend a lot of time educating folks. And then when you see the light bulb go on, Stu, you know, when people say, I never never thought about that. And so then, well, we can't banish them or, you know, so how do we collaborate? And and then understanding, you know, for for the for folks often that the oil and gas industry is very much concerned about a, a clean energy future. Okay, and having the planet be here with folks on the planet, (laughs) right? So it's it's a great point, Tracy, because that's a a talking point I use with a lot of people. Right? Show me one oil and gas company today that does not have a climate change and sustainability tab on their website. Like everyone is very much open about it, and and we're all working towards the same thing. So the conversation in the country feels polarized. It feels like you have you're on one side or another, but I. I wish we could just bring it more to the middle and say like, I love to go skiing and I work in oil and gas and I want there to be snow 
so that my kids and grandkids can ski. I, I am, we, I care about the same things you care about and we can get there and we can do it together. We don't yep. have to fight. Like it can be done collaboratively. I'd like to hug you, but no. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I think that comes through on, on our policies right now and how divisive everything is. Right. So I may be a little bit off the norm on this, but I mean, I fundamentally believe that the best internet policies, it would be for the government to just get out of the way and let the market drive that innovation, right? So yes, we need a regulatory framework. We need to be able to protect human health, conduct our business safely and not, you know, damage the environment. But but I think that less government is better government. So take, for example, Texas. I'm always going to come back to Texas, right? Here, uh, some industries have banded together and yep. to form what was called the Texas Methane, uh, Methane and Flaring coalition uh, of which Texas Alliance of Energy Producers is a supporter. Um, and they have banded together to proactively reduce flaring in the oil field, not because there is a regulatory requirement to do so, but because these oil and gas operators have some sort of intrinsic environmental and economic value to do that, right? So over the last couple of years, according to some data out from the Railroad Commission that, that regulates oil and gas here in Texas, it's, just, it's a strange name, but they're, they're the oil and gas regulators. Um, between, between June of 2019 and May of 2021, the percentage of gas flared from the total gas production in Texas decreased by 72%. Wow. Not because there was a policy that said that we had to do it, but because our market rewards it. And these energy producers who are paving the way and reducing those emissions, they're setting their own internal targets, right? They're doing their own ESG reports. They're setting to eliminate their, their flaring. And they're doing this because they want to, uh, because their shareholders, their investors, value those emissions reductions and they're making it happen. So I would like to see government kind of get out of the way and, and let the free market, you know, prop up the ESG programs. I'm going to agree with you. And I'm going to also say some regulations are good. Early on, the oil companies did not do a good job. Can anybody hear this? The yard guys are out there and this is like, I'm, I want to reach around and go, not now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but no, I mean, yeah, we need to make sure we're, we're producing safely, right? We have to have, um, you know, everything from the ground, you know, all of that needs to be coming out safely. We need to have, yeah. you know, some, some basics, right? We don't want acid rain. We don't want particle pollution, right? right? So, you know, we can have a framework, but, but I don't think that, you know, propping up markets with carbon taxes or doing other externalities such as, you know, forcing, forcing ESG. I personally don't think that there should be a requirement for ESG, such as the SEC is talking about right now. I think if companies want to do it, that's great. Go for it. So, but, but yeah, there should be some, some fundamental yep. backbone uh, to, to making sure everyone's safe about it. You know, I think investors are also saying a little thing different. They're saying, Hey, if you ain't ESG, uh, we ain't investing in you. So that's, there you go, that's, market. And that's part of the market. So that's a very good point, Kat. What we're going to do now is we're going to go around the horn here for just a little bit. And then this will be your, we really want to find out your thoughts on how we get to, let's say we're at the end of 2022 and we're now doing a prediction. 
So, you know, you sit here, Andrew, Kat, and and Tracy, we sit down and we go, what are my predictions for 2022 and how can we educate and get to renewables and lower carbon footprint? I'm going to go ahead and put you on the spot. Tracy, you look like you're really thinking. You're going first. <laughs> you said, how, how can we put renewables in a lower carbon footprint, you know, at, at the end of 2022? What does that? You know? uh, how, uh, how can we get to the ultimate goal is to get to right. renewables with a lower footprint, yeah. but we got to deliver the lowest kilowatt want per hour, which means we still got to use fossil fuels. Right. How do we get to low carbon footprint nirvana by 2022, 2023? What are steps that you think we need to take? Yeah, I, I think um, you just, you know, with our, our crystal ball today, uh, we're seeing uh, uh, pain at the pump. And when we see the administration yeah. trying to figure that out and, and there've got to be some activities and, and solutions uh, in the next 12 months, certainly that's, that's what consumers expect. And, and I think that that, that conversation or the activities that'll happen. We see, you know, um, the reserve, you know, tapping the reserve and, and other things like that. I think that broadens out the conversation, you know, where it's not just um, uh, renewables. All right. Just, Hey, mm -hmm. let's go all in renewables. So I, I think that's a part of it too. I think that, uh, we start to really realize, uh, spend more time with OPEC plus and you know, particularly with Saudi and where they're going. Right. And, and, and this hydrogen part of the conversation starts, you know, because we know oil and gas is there, but you know, that somehow hydrogen doesn't get in the conversation. So that is, is a part of it. And so when we get closer to the end of 2022, 2023, some of the euphoria about, you know, let's go with all the new stuff. Um, we start to look at a more balanced uh, approach and say, listen, you know, there is a place for yep. nuclear and these other. And so now the conversations get to be more of what we know as practitioners in the space that they need to be and not uh, imbalanced. That's my, that's my, yeah, I think, I think that's what we'll see. I think you just stole a lot of thunder, but okay, Andrew, you're next up. What are your predictions on how we get there next year? So I think it'll be really interesting to see what people's perspective is following this winter, right? We, we've heard a lot of teasing about it's going to be a La Nina winter and it's going to be real cold and it's going to be real snowy. Yep. Now, it's kind of hard to believe when here in Denver on December 2nd, it's 75 degrees and we haven't had snow in 220 some odd days. Right. Um, but assuming that the Farmer's Almanac and, and other predictions do pan out, I think it's going to be a rough winter for a lot of people right. uh, with some real high energy bills. I mean, take Texas, what happened in Texas last February and make it a national crisis. And it'll be interesting to see what people's perspectives are and, and what they do to pressure the administration in terms of their policy approach to infrastructure and production domestically. I think I think a lot of people, you're going to see a lot, even more so. I mean, 2021 ESG was talked about, but man, the pace that this whole movement is moving is just hard to believe. I mean, Kat, I don't think you probably expected to start a new company that was Bitcoin focused, you know, at the start of the year. And now here you are, right? But you're going to see a tremendous amount of investment, Stu, I think, in, in carbon capture and sequestration. You're going to see, I think, carbon markets really start to come to the forefront with producers are going to start more and more, start, you know, generating offsets, buying offsets. Yeah. Um, so carbon markets and CCS, I think, are going to be two huge segments that come to the forefront more so than they are even now in 22. I, I like that. 
Wow. Um, and we got a nice little crystal ball going on here. And then Kat, you're going to have the last word. <laughs> Getting out my crystal ball. Hey, I, I agree. I agree with both of you on, on what you're saying here. I think that another thing to think about is that as we rely on foreign oil, how how do their emissions compare to U.S. domestic, right? So if we're moving to lower carbon, yep. I don't have the data because I don't think anyone has done that study, but I find it hard to believe that it's anyone in OPEC plus is doing it better than we are and we are measuring it and we are tracking it. So for me, I think that focusing in on our U.S. domestic oil is a great place to start. Um, I also think that innovation is going to continue to drive both the oil and gas and the renewable spaces. We need to have a bouquet of all of the different forms of energy, and that's how we'll get through it. So I think we're going to see a lot of innovation. I think we're going to see some really cool market happenings going on in the next year. And I and I hope um, in a year from now, we can look back at this podcast and say we were right on it. Well, you guys are invited back next year because we're going to do a review. We're, I mean, we got the tape. We got it. It'll be in transcript. So we're going to fact check yourself and me and everybody else. But I'll tell you what, I had an absolute blast with all of you, you all, all experts in every area that we've been covering. And I can't wait to have you guys back again. And Kat, you and I get to talk next week. And then that way we're going to see the traction on your podcast versus the other guys. So no pressure. Yeah. I guarantee you, you'll probably do better. But uh, anyway, Tracy, thank you very much for stopping by the podcast. Kat, very, very nice to meet you. And then Andrew, man, your passion again shows through and we are just thrilled to even have you here. So thank you all very much. Thanks for thank setting you. us up. Thank you right. for the opportunity. Appreciate you. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.